Well, today we are beginning a new sermon series. I got to tell you, when I started working on the uh, sermon for today and I wasn't in the Gospel of Luke, it kind of threw me for a loop. You know, you get in a groove and just kind of go with it and uh, just, I don't know, you could just kind of tell, oh yeah, we're, we're starting, starting something different. Um, we're going to be seeking to answer the question, what is the church? What is the church? And, and since we're going to spend six weeks on that question, you can probably assume that the answer is more than this building that sits at 1452 Church Road in Eureka. Um, uh, in fact, the answer to, to that question is much more robust than that. And so, um, so in order to, to provide kind of a, a thorough answer to that question, what is the church? We're going to be looking over the next six weeks at six terms or, or metaphors which are used in the New Testament to describe the local church. Um, some of these you've probably, you've probably heard used before. Maybe you yourself use them when, when referring to uh, us as a, as a group of people. Um, others maybe we haven't uh, given quite as much thought to, but, but over these next six weeks, I think studying these six terms will really help us to better view ourselves according uh, to our true identity in Jesus, our, our identity as a group. So I'll just kind of run down those six right now. The, the, the first two descriptions that we're going to examine are the church as a temple and the church as a priesthood. And as we talk about those two, those will be the first two weeks, uh, you'll see a lot of overlap between those two, which, which probably isn't surprising since the priests in the Old Testament served in the temple, so there probably should be overlap there. Um, the next two descriptions that we'll, that we'll talk about focus more narrowly on our, our relationship with God. So the church as a vine and the church as a flock. And then the final two descriptions will focus more narrowly on our relationships with one another. And that would be the church as a family and the church as a body. So uh, this sermon series really was, uh, it came out of a study that, that we as elders have been doing over the previous eight or nine months. Um, we've been thinking about, we've been discussing church membership, where it's alluded to in the Bible, why, why it's important today. And, and in our study on that topic, we, we found ourselves recognizing that a proper view of church membership can't be severed from a proper view of the church. Which makes sense, and, and it's futile for us to promote church membership if we're not presenting a clear picture of what we're calling people to be members of. So, so in this study on what is the church, you'll, you'll find me referencing church membership along with uh, things like communion, baptism, church discipline, uh, other things like that that are important components of a local church. And, and you know, fu fully aware that I'm putting my cards down on the table for all to see, uh, my hope is that by the end of this sermon series, you'll find yourself drawn even more strongly toward the local church and toward church membership. And so if you're already a church member, then, then I hope you'll, you'll be 
drawn uh, even more toward the biblical understanding of how that impacts our daily life. And, and if you're not yet a member, then I, I hope you'll be drawn to take steps toward, toward becoming that. Um, so, so that's the roadmap for the next six weeks. Um, today we're going to dive into that uh, first term, first picture that I mentioned earlier, that of a temple. The church is a temple of God. Now, again, even though we'll be talking a bit today about the temple building seen in the Old Testament, uh, we've got to fight the urge to look around at these four walls and consider this building to be a temple of God. Um, our building's a blessing from God, don't get me wrong. Um, uh, it has seen many people through the years begin and grow in their relationship with God. Uh, this building has served host to important events in people's lives, baptisms, weddings, funerals. Um, uh, this coming Saturday, the, this building will be blessed to host our FEC quiz off for our students. So, I mean, great things like that, but this physical structure is not the temple of God. And so to understand how the local church is a temple, we've got to go back to the beginning. And, and when I say the beginning, I, I don't mean go back to the Old Testament temple or even one step before that to the Old Testament tabernacle, even though we'll talk about those, we'll touch on those later. I mean go all the way back to the beginning, all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And so... So as we do that this morning, I, I, I want to I tell you a story from, from when I was uh, a freshman in high school. That Christmas, uh, I, I received as a Christmas gift my very first guitar. And uh, I clearly remember two things from that uh, Christmas morning as a freshman. One, I, I remember my, my fingers hurt so badly after like five minutes of playing because I just had not developed any calluses on, on my fingertips yet for playing guitar. <laughs> and it was really all I could handle that first morning was about five minutes. So I remember that clearly. And the other thing that, that I clearly remember is that I did not know what I was doing with that new guitar in my hands. I did know I needed to tune it. I knew that was the first thing, and I had a brand new tuner as well that came with the guitar, so, so I started tuning it, but, but uh, because I was a newbie, at one point I began twisting the wrong key on the headstock to the string that I thought I was tuning, and I ended up over-tightening it and snapping a string before I could even start playing my brand new guitar on Christmas morning. So here I was, relegated to playing a five-string guitar on Christmas because I had already broken a string. What, what, what was brand new in my hands was suddenly damaged. Okay, Now, anybody had an experience like that before? Maybe not with a guitar, but something else. You got something new, and then just because of lack of experience, uh, you broke something, and you just have that... that feeling in your gut like, man, what, what did I just do? Um, I kind of wonder, going back to the Garden of Eden, I, I wonder if Adam and Eve had that feeling. I mean, think about it. Here they were in this shiny new garden created just for them. And, and before the, the metaphorical paint had even dried, they'd fallen into sin and they'd broken two things. They had broken their relationship with God and they had broken their relationship with one another. 
I mean, what, what was meant to be an existence of perfect harmony and relationship between both God and other humans was shattered right from the get-go. And so Genesis chapter 3 ends with Adam and Eve being expelled from the garden, symbolizing that broken relationship with God. And then chapter 4 begins with the story of Cain killing Abel, symbolizing the broken relationships with one another. And one of the ways that you can summarize the entire Bible is as a journey to restore and bring reconciliation to those broken relationships. And so, as, as, uh, as history continues on, as God works, as the Bible continues on, the mobile tabernacle that was given, and later the permanent temple in the Old Testament, was a step along that journey of reconciliation. It, it brought those estranged groups together. So if we think about the relationship between God and humans, the instructions for building the tabernacle in Exodus 26 provide for an inner room called the most holy place. And of course, that was the room where the Ark of the Covenant would be kept, and that's where God's manifest presence would dwell within the tabernacle, within the camp of the Israelites. And, and even though there were limitations on, on who could enter, only the high priest, and, and how often he could enter, only once per year, it was a step. It was a step toward complete reconciliation between God and mankind. It, it didn't bring complete reconciliation, but it, it was a step towards it. And then likewise, when we think about uh, the broken relationship between humans, between mankind, the instructions for worship within the tabernacle provided for a step toward that reconciliation. It provided for a, a way for both Jews and Gentiles to approach God together. Now, it's probably helpful to know kind of the basic outline of the history of the temple in Jerusalem. Um, the, the tabernacle was the first thing constructed. The tabernacle was the mobile temple that the Israelites used. Uh, they were given instructions after they left Egypt, and then so they constructed it, started using it. They used it for the 40 years that they were wandering in the desert. And then even once they entered the promised land, they continued using the tabernacle for about 500 years in total. Eventually then, uh, Solomon's temple was built by King Solomon in Jerusalem. That was the first permanent temple. Um, that temple was used for about 400 years. And then uh, at the end of the life of that temple, the Babylonians had invaded uh, is, uh, Jerusalem. They destroyed the city. They destroyed the temple, took the people into exile to Babylon. So that was the end of Solomon's temple. But once the people returned from exile, came back to Jerusalem, they, they constructed a, a, a second temple, a much smaller temple, but they rebuilt the temple that used to stand in Jerusalem. And then that was used for 500 years, and then, and then at that point, King Herod expanded that rebuilt temple and, and made it much bigger, and that was the one standing at the time of Jesus. So there had actually been multiple temples 
throughout the history of Israel. Now, because the tabernacle, because the temple were places where Jews were to come and worship God, it might be tempting to assume that Gentiles were excluded from that, that they were not welcomed into the the temple or the tabernacle. And there did come to be, at the time of King Herod, which we'll talk about eventually with his temple, there did come to be separations within the temple. Gentiles could go here, Jews could go there, even with men, uh, women could go here, men could go there, but it was not supposed to be that way. It was not supposed to be that way. So I just, I'll read just a few verses from Numbers chapter 15. And this is God giving instructions to, uh, to Moses, to the people, regarding the, the usage of the tabernacle. And this is what's written in Numbers chapter 15. So after just describing how worship ought to take place when the people come, we read this. Verse 13, every native Israelite shall do these things in this way, in offering a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And if a stranger is sojourning with you, or anyone is living permanently among you, and he wishes to offer a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord, he shall do as you do. For the assembly there shall be one statute for you and for the stranger who sojourns with you, a statute forever throughout your generations. You and the sojourner alike, excuse me, you and the sojourner shall be alike before the Lord. One law and one rule shall be for you and for the stranger who sojourns with you. Now again, this single statute did not bring about complete reconciliation between all people on earth. But it it did provide a step toward that reconciliation. It, It provided a setting for both Jew and Gentile to worship God together, shoulder to shoulder within the tabernacle. So in a nutshell, one of, the, one of the primary purposes of the tabernacle and later the temple was to provide a step toward the reconciliation of those two broken relationships from back in the Garden of Eden, between God and humans, and then between humans among one another. But while a step had been taken toward that reconciliation with the temple, there was still much work to be done. Much work to be done. And it wouldn't be until Jesus that there would finally be a way to provide for complete reconciliation. And that's why when when the Apostle John writes his gospel about the life of Jesus, he famously begins by saying that Jesus came and dwelt, or Jesus tabernacled among us. He's showing that Jesus is bringing about what the temple was looking forward to. Okay, that Jesus came to make a way to fully reconcile our relationship with God and with one another. So the question then, we haven't really answered the question I asked this morning, what does that have to do with the church? What does that have to do with the church being the temple of God? Well, the church ought to be the place where, like the temple, reconciliation between God and between one another is put on display. It ought to be the place that you go that you see that. And because of the work of Jesus to bring about full reconciliation, it should be put on display even more clearly than it was back in the Old Covenant with the temple or with the tabernacle. 
And, and there's two main passages in the New Testament that proclaim this truth and, and kind of help us grasp what it, what it looks like to put the story of reconciliation, which is the gospel, to put that story on display. And so the first passage that we'll look at is uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And so I'd encourage you to either, either turn there with me or, or uh, follow along on your Bible app. But we're going to start reading in chapter 5 uh, in verse 16. We're going to see where Paul is writing about the outcomes of our reconciliation as it pertains to us and God. So 2 Corinthians 5.16 says this, From now on, therefore, we, re- we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's a lot in that passage, (laughs) so much there that speaks about the work of Jesus in the lives of those who receive him. Um, I mean, first, we're made to be a new creation. We're still us, but we're made new. The old has passed away, the new has come, and it doesn't always feel that way, right? It doesn't always feel that way when we're living in this fallen world, when we're still battling the effects of sin within us, the effects of sin around us. But as new creations, we have been set free from sin and we are free to walk in righteousness and Paul talks about that. And, and then second, as new creations, we are that because we've been reconciled to God. We've been reconciled to God. Our relationship with God that was broken due to sin, again, all the way back in Eden, that's been restored. And, and, and Paul states that, that this blessing is from Jesus as a direct result of his work on the cross. There's that direct connection there. Jesus was made to be sin in our place, and in him we are given the righteousness of God. We become the righteousness of God. Because our sin is removed and righteousness is given to us, we're reconciled to God. Uh, the, the sin which had set up a barrier between us and God, it's been taken away. And, and so you think about, uh, we talked about uh, uh, a couple weeks ago in, in the Gospel of Luke as Jesus was crucified, that's why the curtain in the temple which separated the most holy place from the rest of the temple, that, that's why it was torn in two from top to bottom. The, the intact curtain is a physical picture of our separation from God. The torn curtain 
is a physical picture of our reconciliation to God. That's why it was torn at the moment that Jesus was crucified. Reconciliation was now possible. That, that barrier was removed. And, and then kind of as a, as a further picture of the barrier between us and God being destroyed, God the Father sent the Holy Spirit at Pentecost to dwell within his people. And then from that time onward, all those who, who receive Jesus are, are given the Holy Spirit to dwell within them. We are a temple of God because he's quite literally here dwelling in our midst. His presence is here. And, and we put that on display as we worship him, uh, as we humble ourselves before him. Uh, th- those are the very things we should do in the presence of the King of Kings. Shouldn't we? I mean, we ought to worship. We ought to humble ourselves before him. And since God is here in our presence dwelling, that's what our response ought to be. He's reconciled us to himself and we can be with him once again. I mean, this is an incredible, incredible development and incredible blessing. Uh, What was lost in Eden has been restored. And then along with that, along with being with God once again, being reconciled to him, we are to put that on display to others. We we are to call others into that same reconciliation. Uh, We've been given the ministry of reconciliation, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. And it's not that we can fix what is broken between another person and God. I mean, we've been there, right? We wish we could fix it. We wish for another person that, that, we, that we could do what's needed to, to restore that relationship with God. We can't fix it, but through us, God makes his appeal to others. As Paul talks about there, we become ambassadors of Jesus. We, we implore people to come and find reconciliation with God. And, and one of the ways we do that is by proclaiming and displaying the gospel, that, that story of reconciliation. We live out this ministry of reconciliation as we, as, as we display, as we proclaim the gospel. And so we are a temple of God where a person can come and see the gospel lived out. So just like you could go to the Old Testament temple and kind of see this picture of reconciliation, an incomplete picture, but a picture, God's presence dwelled there and you could come and you could be in the same building as God's presence, which was crazy at that point. I mean, that that was a good development. We ought to be a further picture of that reconciliation, that reconciled relationship between us and God. And not just when we gather here in this building. I mean, mean, it, it includes our regular gatherings for sure. But we don't stop being the temple of God when we collectively walk out these doors and leave the building. Uh, our daily lives ought to be proclaiming the gospel through how we live. So, so because we are a temple of God, a person ought to be able to look at us and see what a reconciled relationship with God looks like. That, that, that was one of the, the, the roles of the temple in the Old Testament. It continues to be that for us today. But it's not just the reconciliation with God that is to be put on display. It is also, we are also to be a place where reconciliation with one another is put on display. And Paul talks about this in in another passage of scripture. 
Ephesians chapter 2. And so you can turn there if you want. Uh, We'll read that shortly. As we prepare to read that uh, passage from chapter 2, it's helpful to recognize that Paul wrote this in the time of Herod's temple that I was talking about earlier. So Herod's temple was, was the one which did have the clearly marked off areas that, where Jews were permitted to go, but Gentiles were not. And so the oneness that God commanded through Moses regarding the tabernacle that, that we read earlier, uh, that was not being maintained in Herod's temple. Even though Jew and Gentile were supposed to be able to come to God together in the temple, that was not the case at the time of Paul. And it maybe hadn't been the case for quite some time. And, and, you know, as another note on the topic, Herod's temple also included a court of women, which limited how far Jewish women could advance into the temple as compared to Jewish men. So when we look at the instructions that Paul is, is going to write for us in Ephesians 2, he's talking specifically about the Jew-Gentile divide, but it applies to the divide between men and women within the temple as well. When you look back through the Old Testament, uh, the tabernacle, Solomon's temple, there's no mention of a court of women there either. So so when it comes to to this division of hostility uh, regarding salvation in Jesus, the same argument applies uh, more than just to Jew-Gentile, but that's what Paul is, is focusing on specifically. So look with me at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. It says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace." and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So those, uh, that passage begins by speaking about Jews and Gentiles both being reconciled to God. It talks about that vertical relationship first. But then, it, then he moves into speaking about Jews and Gentiles being reconciled to one another. So what once separated people from one another has been destroyed. Uh, what once was two is now one, Paul says. The, the hostility has been killed. 
Those opposed to one another are now fellow citizens and members of the household of God. Now we think about our context today. We're not really tempted to divide into groups along Jew-Gentile dividing lines, are we? That'd be a pretty lopsided group in our context. We'd all be in the one, as far as I'm aware. We would all be in the Gentile group. Uh, But it doesn't mean that we don't set up, we aren't tempted to set up dividing walls according to other measures. I mean, all throughout history, mankind has been thinking and acting in an us versus them kind of way. Um, I, I mean, I mean, that's shown itself in our own country's history. Uh, you, you, we can see it racially, we can see it politically, we can see it residentially, religiously, academically, vocationally. I mean, I, we are quite skilled at dividing ourselves into groups and erecting walls to separate one group from another. But God's temple was always meant to be a place where people of all kinds had the opportunity to come and worship him together. And, and as we worship God together and participate together in his reconciliation with mankind, that vertical relationship, it, it should naturally lead to reconciliation with one another. That ought to be the outflow of that. And, and Paul wrote more about this. He, he wrote about this lots of spots in Scripture. Um, uh, but he wrote about it, uh, another one I'll mention in Galatia, uh, uh, in Galatians, to the church in Galatia. In chapter 3, he wrote these words. He said, There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And you'll sometimes hear that passage interpreted in such a way that it that it means that all people are identical in Jesus. Um, so, so Jew, Greek distinctions are washed away, slave, free distinctions are washed away, male, female distinctions are washed away. But in the context, that's not what Paul is saying. He wrote those words in the context of talking about how no group, however we might divide people into groups, No group has an advantage over another group when it comes to receiving salvation in Christ and being brought into that family. So a couple verses before Paul wrote what I just read, he wrote, in Christ you are all children of God through faith. There's not one way to Christ for one group and a different way for another group and this way's a little easier and that way's a little tougher because of who they are. It's all one. There's no advantage from one kind of person to another when it comes to salvation in Christ. So we are to be a temple of God as the temple was meant to be in that all are welcome to come and worship God shoulder to shoulder. We don't don't look for the things that drive us apart. We, We look to the one who unites us. We look to Jesus And when we do that, we experience reconciliation with one another. And I I would argue our world is in desperate need of this kind of example. Desperate need. I mean, we see it everywhere. Uh, The church ought to be the place where a person can go and find all kinds of people worshiping God together and, and doing so in relationship with one another. That's always what the temple was meant to be. Now, now, we might be tempted to think 
that church would be better if there were more people like me and if there were less people who differed from me. But because we are the temple of God, we cannot strive for that. We cannot strive for that. I mean, we cannot erect barriers like was done in Herod's temple. That's antithetical to the gospel. It it just is. Jesus died to destroy those dividing walls. So we cannot be erecting them because he died to remove them. And, and, you know, Paul went on in his letter to the Ephesians and and continued uh, unpacking this truth. In chapter four, uh, what what we read earlier, he talked about being eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And, and then for that reason, Paul says, people of God are called to be humble, called to be gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. Um, those are all necessary things for a group of diverse people to live out this reconciliation that comes in Christ. Um, those things aren't just good things to make life better for us. Those are things without which we won't proclaim and we won't display the gospel, which brings reconciliation. I mean, we have to have those things to to show that reconciliation. So, So the temple of God was, from the beginning, it was meant to be the place where people were reconciled to God and where they were reconciled to one another. Now, because of Jesus, both of those things are fully possible. It was only hints of it back in the Old Testament, but in Jesus, it is possible. In him, we're being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So as people who are part of Eureka Bible Church, we're to strive to to live as that temple of God. Uh, What we do, what we say, must proclaim the reconciliation possible between us and God. And what we do and what we say ought to proclaim the reconciliation possible between one another as well. A pessimist might look at that calling and say, "Uh uh-uh, that's not possible. That's not possible. They might say, we've sinned too deeply against God to be reconciled to him in that way. They might say, you can never have a church where people of different races are fully reconciled to one another. They might say, you can, you can never have a church where people who vote Democrat and people who vote Republican worship God hand in hand. And apart from the work of Jesus, I would say that pessimist is probably a realist. But in Christ, in Christ, all things are possible. And, and it's within this conversation about destroying the dividing walls that God inspired Paul to write these incredibly hope-filled words that, that I want to end with this morning. So this is chapter, uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Again, we've got to remember the context in which Paul is saying this. He says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Because of Jesus and because of his power at work within us, it is possible for us to be a church that is a temple of God, as the temple was always meant to be. 
it is possible for God to, do, to, to, to bring about that reconciliation, both the vertical and the horizontal, in a far more abundant way than we might ask or think. So it would be possible, it is possible, it's happening on this earth now, for that to happen where the pessimist might say it's not possible, or we can say yes, it is possible, and in fact, it is the reality when the power of Jesus is at work in us and through us. That's exciting, I think. That's exciting to think about a group of people living that out, both of the vertical and horizontal reconciliation that Jesus died to complete in us and through us. Man, what a high calling, don't you think? This is only the first week. We got five more of these that we're gonna talk about, but I think this, I think it sets a good tone for who we're meant to be as, as not just as a Christian, but as the people of God, as a local church. That's who we're called to be. So let's stand together. Let's, let's pray that, the, that this power of Jesus would be at work in us to bring that about among us. God, we come to you this morning, and uh, I think we have to start by, uh, by giving you praise, giving you thanks for the fact that reconciliation is possible. We sure messed it up back in the Garden of Eden. We, we broke those relationships, but you didn't leave it there. You, in your sovereignty, worked things out that those broken relationships could be restored, and, and we're so thankful for that. We know that it was only completed through, through your work on the cross. And we know that that was a high cost. We thank you that you were willing to pay that. And God, I pray that we would, we would collectively live as individuals who, who recognize that those barriers are destroyed. The one between us and you and the ones that we often erect between us and others as well. May we be people who live as if there are not those barriers. Guide us in that. Give us wisdom in that. Give us the humility and patience and bearing with one another that, that Paul mentioned. God, we need your power to be your temple as we're called to be. And so we ask that you would do that in us, that you would do that through us. We pray that Eureka Bible Church here would, would proclaim the gospel in our communities as we, as we function in this way. We give you praise, God. We're thankful for your love for us, and we love you as well. We pray these things in your name. Amen. I, uh,